Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Greetings to those who watch below. Before we start today's video, I'd like to say thank you to Steffi Ray, Wicked Witch, Lisa Watts, Lefty Kin, Finn McCall, and Jess Black Curtain for being those who dwell below, an exclusive channel membership that you can get more information on by checking the link in the description box. So today we carry on with our paranormal tour of the United States. This week we're taking a trip to the Great Lakes and Michigan. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. The Poor Poor Ghost by Enlightened 1959 When I was eight years old, my family moved from California to a very small town in Michigan named Poor Poor. My dad was in management, and this was just one of many moves we had to make in order for him to move up that corporate ladder. Poor Poor is located in southwest Michigan, between Kalamazoo and Lake Michigan. It's a nice town to visit if you were a connoisseur of wine, since there are wineries in and around Pawpaw. If you're familiar with this very small town, you are probably already aware that it's known to be a strange place, where a lot of what we call today paranormal activity happens. Years ago we just called it hauntings, and I'm about 99.9% .9 sure the word disembodied was not in the Webster's Dictionary in those days. Not only did it have a lot of paranormal activity, but it also had an unusually high rate of suicides back at that time, which is another reason why I consider Pawpaw a peculiar area. My parents bought a very nice ranch-style home in a neighbourhood that was somewhat spread out between houses, and across the road from our house was nothing but hayfields and a couple of old barns. It was a subdivision just off a county road, right in the middle of what was recently farmland, so we felt like we were still somewhat in the country. Strange things started happening very soon after we moved in. We all, excluding my dad, because he would rarely admit to anything paranormal happening, had a sense of someone staring at us. My brothers and my room were right next to each other. Our parents' room was down at the end of the hall. I was never afraid to sleep by myself until we moved into that house. Besides the eerie feeling that someone was watching me in every room of the house, I heard many unexplainable noises. One night I was laying in my bed trying to fall asleep, when I heard whispering coming from my closet. Really, it sounded more like a chant than a whisper. I was hoping my brother was just trying to play a trick on me, so I yelled at him and told him it wasn't funny and to stop. My mom heard me yelling and came to my room. 
I told her what I had heard. She checked on my brother, and he was already asleep, then looked in my closet to appease me and found nothing wrong. My mum chalked it up to being in a new home and my imagination getting away with me, but I knew what I heard. She took me back in bed and went back to the living room to watch TV with my dad. I lay flat on my back with the covers up to my nose, trying not to hear anything else, when suddenly I heard the hardwood floor creak at the foot of my bed, and then I felt the sheets tighten around my feet, as if someone had sat on the edge of my bed. I actually felt the weight of someone sitting on my bed. I started screaming, and my mum came right in to check on me. There was still an indentation on my bed, as if someone was still sitting on it. She didn't say anything to me other than that I could sleep with them that night. Years later, as my mum and I were reminiscing about all the different places we've lived, she admitted to seeing the indentation of someone sitting on my bed, and had had several experiences herself. One very cold winter evening, my mum had cooked supper, and was keeping it warm on the stove while we waited for my dad to get back home from work. It was around 6pm, and already dark outside, when my brother got the idea to scare my dad by shutting off all the lights in the house. My dad would surely wonder what was going on, and maybe even wonder if we were home. The only light in the house was the flickering golden flames in the fireplace. We sat very quietly, knowing my dad was due to walk through the front door at any minute. To break the silence and be a little funny, I yelled out, Okay, so if there are any ghosts in the house, let us know you're here now. As soon as I said that, we heard a very loud crash that sounded just like a grand piano falling and hitting the floor in my parents' room. We even heard the key sounds from a piano. It was so loud that it vibrated the floor in the living room where we were sitting, and my mum jumped up and turned the lights on. We all walked together down the hall to my parents' bedroom, and not one thing was out of place. My mum told me to never say anything like that again. On the opposite end of the house was a very large room that we could use for an extra living room, or whatever we needed it for. One day, while my dad was at work and we were in school, my mum went into that room to take care of some laundry. She turned up the radio and started ironing. Suddenly, the radio started switching channels on her, and she wasn't even close to it. Within seconds of the radio going crazy, while ironing, she felt two very strong yanks on her shirt tail. She flung herself around to see what could have done this, but there was nothing that she could have gotten it hung on. She said that she shut off the iron and walked over to our neighbours. While at our neighbours, my mum implied that something had startled her while ironing. Our neighbour told her that our house was haunted and said hers was too. She told my mum that something was very wrong with the whole town. She proceeded to tell my mum that a man had committed suicide in our house and the previous owner of her home, the woman of the house, hung herself in the garage, leaving behind a husband and four small children. She said there were several suicides in the town of Pawpaw. My mum told my dad that she wanted to move out of the house and out of that town, and about a year later we were able to move, but it took several years for them to sell the house. The Michigan Dogman The Michigan Dogman is a werewolf or werewolf-type creature first reported in 1887 in Wexford County, Michigan. 
Sightings have been reported in several locations throughout Michigan, primarily in the northwestern quadrant of the Lower Peninsula. In 1987, the legend of the Michigan Dogman gained popularity when a disc jockey at WTCM-FM recorded a song about the creature and its reported sightings. The DJ, Steve Cook, recorded the song with a keyboard backing and credited it to Bob Farley. After he played the song, Cook received calls from listeners who said that they had encountered a similar creature. In the next few weeks, after Cook first played the song, it was the most requested song on the station. He also sold cassettes of the songs for $4 and donated proceeds from the single to an animal shelter. Over the years, Cook has received more than a hundred reports of the creature's existence. Cook later added verses to the song in 1997 after hearing a report of an animal break-in by an unknown canine at a cabin in Luther, Michigan. He re-recorded it again in 2007 with a mandolin backing. The first known sighting of the Michigan Dogman occurred in 1887 in Wexford County when two lumberjacks saw a creature whom they described as having a man's body and a dog's head. In 1938 in Paris, Michigan, Robert Fortney was attacked by five wild dogs and said that one of the five walked on two legs. Reports of similar creatures also came from Allegan County in the 1950s and in Manistee and Cross Village in 1967. Linda Godfrey, in her book The Beast of Bray Road, compares the Manistee sightings to a similar creature sighted in Wisconsin known as the Beast of Bray Road. In 1961, a night watchman was patrolling a manufacturing plant in Big Rapids, Michigan, when he saw a peculiar figure. At first he thought it was a person, until he saw the dog-like features. He pulled his gun and was about to shoot when he remembered his camera and took it out and took a picture of the horrific beast. The photos have not been analysed yet, and the photo still remains an unsolved mystery. Ghost Town in Grayling, Michigan by I Took, 1997 I am originally from Grayling, Michigan. As a teen, my friends and I would make several pilgrimages a year to our local haunted spot. Going to Pear Shaney is easier said than done if you are not familiar with the roads up there in Crawford, Roscommon County. The cemetery is located in the middle of absolutely nowhere. The only way back up in there is a deeply rutted two-track. If you have a low-set car, don't bother driving in there. You'll be bottomed out and be stranded. I'd like you to hear about Pear Cheney from a local. In 1873, Michigan Central Railroad completed the railway system between Gaylord and Jackson. About that time, George Cheney got a land grant from the railway company to establish a stop on the railroad for gas, freight, water and passengers. It was previously known as Centre Plains Township. Cheney built a sawmill and later Cheney House, a hotel to accommodate the number of fast-rising settlers, lumbermen and tourists in the area. On December 1st, 1874, Pear Cheney received a post office. By 1877, the town had two sawmills, a general store, a wagon maker, two carpenters, a doctor, a hotel telegraph service and daily mail. Lumber was the only product ever shipped from Pear Cheney. 
The cemetery was established on about five acres in 1878, located southeast from the town. By 1896, the population had dropped drastically from around 1,500 people to around 55 to 25 people in 1901, and 18 people in 1917. The post office was closed in 1912, and the land was sold off at a public auction on May 7, 1917. The only remaining families were farmers of the outlying area of the town. Diphtheria was spread through the town twice in its short life, once in 1893 and again in 1897. It took several lives, many from the same family at the same time. The Barber family lost three children in less than three weeks over Christmas in 1893. Many families moved out of the town into the neighbouring towns of Roscommon and Grayling or further. There were several fires in Pear Cheney due to the sparks from the mills that were located behind and to the south of the cemetery. There was no water supply near Pear Cheney, so the townspeople had to use water wagons and shovel dirt to put out these fires. Sometimes they were not successful and had to let the fires burn out. Most of what you will read says that the townspeople from neighbouring towns tried to burn the town down to stop the spread of disease. I have found nothing to credit that. Although some of the buildings burnt down due to a mill fire after the town had been deserted. Like hundreds of other cities in the lumber boom days, Pear Cheney just withered away. If you ask any random Grayling resident, they might tell you about the witch of Pear Cheney Cemetery. I have heard nothing about a witch while researching the town's history. There are a few gravestones left in there. Most have been destroyed by delinquents drinking. In fact, there is a story about a Crawford County Sheriff who as a kid desecrated a grave and drove around with a human skull in his rear window. One of the witch stories had something to do with cursing the town with plagues and fires after she was banished to the woods. It is also told that the witch has a grave in the cemetery. People do leave mementos on headstones. I myself have placed flowers on the few remaining headstones out of respect. Other items left there are dolls, candles, crucifixes, rosaries and pentacles. Most of these items are gone the next day, because the gentleman who lives a mile or so up the road cleans up the cemetery on a daily basis. Is Pear Cheney Cemetery haunted? I believe that it is, but not to the extent others make it out to be. I've probably been there at least 200 times over the years, and maybe 10 of those times I have had something strange happen to me and others that were with me. I have had my car radio switch channels for no reason, my car not wanting to start. A few times we have heard children giggling and laughing very close to the car late at night. One particular time there were small handprints all over the roof of my car after we left the cemetery. On Halloween of 2002, myself and three others saw an apparition of a woman in a light-coloured dress walking through the rear of the cemetery. Then she disappeared all at once. The Edmund Fitzgerald Exhibit by James F. I was born in Michigan and recall back in November 1975 when the ore carrier Edmund Fitzgerald sank during a violent storm in Lake Superior. All hands were lost during the sinking and no bodies were ever recovered because the ship sank so suddenly. 
The sinking was about 15 miles from Whitefish Point, where the Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum currently resides. In September of 2018, I was in northern Michigan on business. I had some time to kill and decided to visit the museum. After crossing the Mackinac Bridge, I began the one and a half hour drive to the museum. What was once a sunny and warm day had turned cold, grey and rainy. I experienced uneasy feelings as I drove the desolate Upper Peninsula roads. I couldn't understand why, but I dismissed the feelings to overwork and stress. I finally arrived at the museum in a downpour. I ran inside and paid the admission fee to a friendly middle-aged woman. I was the only one there. The museum was laid out well with exhibits and artefacts, from shipwrecks starting in the 1800s and ending with the Edmund Fitzgerald. By the time I reached the Fitzgerald exhibit, I learned very little was recovered from the shipwreck because it sank so quickly. However, a lifeboat broke free during the sinking and was recovered the following day. With the lifeboat was a case which included a fly gun, lantern, first aid kit and other items. Those items were displayed in a glass case. As I studied the items, the earlier feelings of anxiety returned. Within seconds, Anxiety turned to fear, and after that, turned to pure terror. I was so light-headed, I thought I was fainting. I was able to collect myself and bolted for the exit. I went right by the front desk, where the lady was, and went back outside. My heart was racing, my breath was short, and I thought my head would explode. I soon collected myself and asked, what just happened? I decided to go back inside to confront what just occurred. I walked right past the lady again and into the museum. Within seconds, the same emotions of anxiety, fear and terror swept over me. There was no negotiation and I exited the museum again with no intention of returning. I spoke with the lady and told her I'd just had a paranormal experience by the Fitzgerald exhibit. She admitted to being a sensitive herself and said the museum is highly active. She also said that once or twice a week, visitors will have an experience similar to mine, or see apparitions, or even hear voices calling for help. This was reassuring, because I thought I was going nuts. I have had my share of psychic or paranormal experiences in my life, but this was by far the most intense. During the drive back to my motel, I thought about the anxiety, fear and terror I had experienced and realised that this is what those doomed crew members felt. Anxiety during the storm, fear when the ship was losing control, and terror when they realised it was sinking. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Birthday at Rotary Park by Jessica Wishon, 1989 The year was 2009. It was October 5th, my 20th birthday. My boyfriend at the time was at work and I was at his parents' house. His stepmom and I had a fun day shopping and dining out. Autumn made the scenery so beautiful that day in southeastern Michigan. The night was slowly approaching. Laurie and I needed to get to her house quick so we could make dinner for the boys. My ex and his father arrived home almost simultaneously. Dinner was made, the food was enjoyed, and the kitchen had been cleaned. It was nearing eight o'clock that night, yet Laurie nor myself were in no mood to turn in early. Instead, knowing that Halloween was less than a month away, we decided to go online to look for some scary haunted houses, or maybe a ghost walk, or something scary to do. It was my birthday after all, I don't remember what day of the week my birthday fell on that year, evidently not a Friday or Saturday, because those two days were the only days that haunted houses and spooky things to do were open. So instead, we looked for something to do that could be done on every day of the year. One of those was the legend of Rotary Park. Rotary Park is a local park in Livonia, Michigan. It has the traditional playground and baseball diamond, and a few trails that go on for a couple of miles. Around the baseball diamond is a road or track that circles the diamond, which is probably the size of a regular track around a football field, just more circular. The legend of Rotary Park says, if you go to the park between the times of early fall and early spring, when the weather and air is still crisp with the cold night's breeze, you hear strange and unusual things. You must wait until darkness falls, Go to the park and walk around the road that circles the baseball diamond. If you're lucky, you hear the howls and screams of two girls that were allegedly tortured and murdered there before the turn of the century, killed by their parents' farmhand. If you're lucky, you can see two girls in white dresses calling for help. We did not see this. We saw something much different and probably much worse. We arrived at Rotary Park just before 9.30pm. I drove. We parked the car and got out. Instead of walking around the baseball diamond, we walked through it to the leftmost trail. It was pitch black. My ex was scared to go any further, so he held the flashlight about 10 feet from the entrance of the trail. Laurie made it to the entrance of the trail, and I made it about 5 feet into the trail before I started hearing what sounded like whispers. The wind soon picked up and got very cold. I stared into the pitch black trail looking for something, not knowing what. I got what would seem like a big surprise. I peered, my eyes adjusting as much as they could to the blackness. I squinted, looking for something, seeing nothing, until I heard a scream. It wasn't just a scream, it sounded like a warning. 
like someone was trying to yell something at me, but the voice was too faint and too far away for me to make out what. My heart starts to race. I feel my flesh getting more chilled. The jackets I have on aren't enough anymore. It literally felt like the temperature dropped 20 degrees, though that would be a bit dramatic. I've always been taught not to show any fear, so instead of running out like a big baby, like I really wanted to do, I just turned my head and asked Laurie if she heard that. I hear my ex in the background faintly say, Hear what? I stayed focused on Laurie. I turned my flashlight towards her. Her eyes were as wide as could be, her flesh ghost white. I knew she knew exactly what I was talking about. Instead of replying with a yes or no, she replied with something much more scary, shocking, much more tantalising. Something grabbed me, she exclaimed. I asked her what she meant. She said she had heard the scream as well, but before she could react to it, she felt what seemed to be hands grab her on both sides of her abdomen, as if standing directly in front or behind her, and it startled her. This I could tell plainly. I turned away from her, not saying a word. I looked back into the woods, almost daring anyone or anything to taunt me. I spoke a question, probably the most stupid question one could ask while ghost hunting. If there is anyone there, can you show yourself to me, to prove you are here? I didn't get a full-bodied apparition, if that's what you're thinking. Instead, I got something that I would say to be much more scary. I walked one foot ahead toward the wood. I could feel my heart pounding. I saw one of the scariest things I ever did see, and probably ever will. Right before I was to speak again, I got a huge rush of icy cold wind blast in my face, and as it punched my face with cold, I saw what seemed to be a disembodied head fly towards me. I would assume this ghostly form is what caused the cold blast of wind, because when I recovered from the shock of what just happened, I turned around to see my ex and Laurie, and they stand there, puzzled at me. I asked them, You didn't feel that, or for God's sake see that? They both questioned my reliability. I felt the wind pick up again. This time I wasn't sticking around. I wasn't afraid to run out like a big baby anymore. I didn't care. I did not want to see that horrible face again. I booted it, ran as fast as I could toward the car. Laurie and my ex screaming behind me, asking why I was running. So I guess by now, they believe me, as they were shortly right behind me in their own run. I pressed the auto lock on the car key. The car unlocked and I sat in the driver's seat. Laurie and my ex arrived soon after. I was shocked, scared, and I was crying. They were trying to comfort me, though asking me a whole bunch of questions didn't help. I gathered my thoughts and got back to my usual self. The tears had stopped. I was ready to talk. After I spoke about what happened, I turned the car on. I was surprised to see that only 13 minutes had passed since we got out of the car. What seemed like hours took just a few short minutes to play out. My ex and Laurie decided it was time to go. Laurie had forgot she had her camera with her. We had been charging the batteries all day because she was going to use the camera for an event the next day. We charged two sets of batteries and brought them both along. I told the gang, hold on a minute, I'm fine now. I just want to drive around the baseball diamond. So they agreed. 
and we proceeded to do so. We drive slowly, all the while Laurie is snapping pictures on her digital camera. When we came to the entrance of that horrible leftmost trail, when she told me to stop, I almost hesitated, but did stop. She snapped a few pictures, her camera made a funny beeping sound, just before the batteries died. She and I both knew that was weird, being the batteries were fully charged when we left the house. So she put in her other set of batteries, and I started to drive again. We were almost all the way around the baseball diamond by now, and she tells me to stop again. She doesn't even get to take a picture this time, before her batteries die. I'm looking through the back passenger side window, when I see a low profile form of smoke, or fog, or maybe even steam creep up the right side of the car. Laurie smokes, so naturally I ask her if she's smoking. She turned to me and said, with her cigarette in her mouth, No, I haven't even lit it yet. I see the unlit cigarette dangling, and I start to get freaked out again. I explain to them to look out the window to see the smoke that I am seeing. They do, and see it. My ex, who is sitting in the back seat, tells me that maybe it's the exhaust pipe, being that it was kind of cold outside. Naturally, I get out of the car and walk behind it. No smoke or anything is coming out of the exhaust pipe. I get back in the car. I turn to my left to reach my seatbelt, when I see the same smoke creeping up the driver's side of the car. I'm freaked out already, so I grab my seatbelt and click it in place. Now, everyone knows exactly what I'm talking about. The smoke looks like it's surrounding the car from the inside out. Our headlights are bright, and we can see clearly that the smoke is intelligently creeping up in front of us. The massive smoke builds into what seems like a wall in front of the car. My ex is pounding on my seat, demanding that I drive off. I yell to him, No, I want to see what happens. The smoke is about four and a half feet tall now in front of the car, and was, I would say, at least the width of the car, which was a 96 Dodge Intrepid. You can tell by this point that the smoke is forming into something, I have my ex pounding on my seat, and I have Laurie urging me to drive off. Yet all I want to do is see what happens. Laurie puts the car in drive, and urges me to drive. My foot is on the brake, but all their yelling discourages me to stay any longer. I press the gas hard, and drive right through the smoke cloud. I can almost feel energy pass through my body, as I do. As soon as I drove through the smoke, I stopped. I put the car in reverse, to get the white tail lights on. They are asking what the hell am I doing? I look in my rear view mirror, then turn and look behind me. I see nothing. No smoke. Nothing. I put the car back in drive, and drive off. I get to the main road, the entrance of Rotary Park. I didn't have to say anything. Everyone was breathing hard. I knew without a doubt, had I stayed and watched what would have happened with the smoke, I just might have seen my very first full-bodied apparition. I was unsatisfied. I wanted to go back, but I wouldn't dare ask the others to do that. I could tell they felt the energy too. Not a word was spoken the whole way home. Hi guys, thank you so much for listening to today's video. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to leave a like, and also subscribe to the channel if you haven't already making sure you hit that notification bell so that you don't miss out on any videos. 
Also, if there's a state you'd like me to visit next on this paranormal tour, make sure to let me know in the comments section. So, until next time, sleep tight. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.